0: So keep on working on this. I'm working hard on this. It's It is. Oh, oh. dive, oh. dive oh. in.
1: Dive oh. In. Oh. Hi there, and welcome. You're listening to the Diving In podcast, brought to you by Virginia Seymour and Louise Jones. This podcast is part of a lifelong conversation between friends about the books we're reading and the issues they make us think about. That also goes for the movies and television we're watching and the podcasts we're currently hooked on. We might even talk about what's in the news and anything else we're diving into this
0: week. Hello, Louise. Hello. Hello, divers. Welcome to episode 30. That's exciting. Can you believe we've I done know. 30 of these, plus a few duck dives? Yeah, duck dives, swan dives. Swan dives. But 30, I can still remember when we first hit record and we were so self-conscious. I didn't know where to look. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we were like a bit uber prepared as yeah, well. We? Yeah, just, <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: Now oh my. we just swan into <laughs> the studio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, dear. Uh, it is absolutely lovely to be back in your study loop though. It's a, sort of a little oasis of calm in a world that is actually really rather stressful and horrible at the moment. Apart and from the mess behind me that you're yeah, no, very you're kindly yeah, ignoring. No, no, I love I love the look of all those books. It's beautiful. So today we're going to be chatting about a couple of books that sit in our theme which I'll mention a little bit later on. We have a winner of our giveaway Mm -hmm. or winners and we're going to mention a few non-book things that we've been diving into and we have a life hack and we have a writing tip. Uh, But first up we're going to talk about a book that we've just finished. Did you want to go first, Lou? Yeah, sure. Sure. It's actually a coincidence,
1: having regard to our theme, that uh, I had just finished this book because it's a very good counterpoint to the other book I read. And it's called A Repurposed Life. Um, thank you to my friend Michelle, who lent this to me very recently. And it's the inspirational memoir of Ronnie Kahn, who is the founder of the food rescue charity Oz Harvest. Uh, and Oz Harvest collects leftover food from a wide variety of vendors, events, restaurants, etc., and distributes the food to shelters and refuges and, and those in need. And their motto is Rescuing Food, Fighting Hunger. And since founding Oz Harvest in 2004, Ronnie has gone on to assist with the setting up of UK Harvest Gosh. and South Africa Harvest which is very dear to her heart for reasons that will become apparent, uh, and kiwi harvest in New Zealand. You know, it's interesting. As of 2019, 11% of the population in South Africa uh, had food insecurity. It's a staggering number of people, 6.5 million people. And I reflected today with COVID Yeah. Those numbers Mm. all over the world will have changed, Mm. you know. For the worst. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I don't know the current statistics in Australia or in the UK. But we've seen
0: the queues of cars in America. Yeah. Yeah. Where car parks are just a snake filled with people sitting for hours. And I should add that, you know, this was
1: an, an entirely original idea that Ronnie came up with. And she was working on formulating it, but she did go and visit a a relative, might have been one of her sisters in America, before they launched Oz Harvest. And she came across Angel Harvest in the US. So, the US has had a similar initiative going for a very long time. Right. And of course, you know, you and I know the bright yellow Oz Harvest Mm -hmm. vans, and they're Mm -hmm. all through the UK now. Wow, with different branding, obviously, and as they are in South Africa, it's a real signature yellow. Yeah, and somebody said she could almost brand it like Cadbury because yes. it's such a yep. distinctive I can bright yellow van. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then in New Zealand, it's a bright green oh. kiwi harvest. Yeah, so Ronnie grew up in South Africa in the 1950s and 60s in a very comfortable family, a Jewish family, uh, with her parents and her two sisters, and they were brought up to believe that all people were equal, but the sort of abject and brutal injustices of apartheid in uh, South Africa, which, of course, was enshrined in law, I think, in 1946, was very much in plain sight. And she describes her family as fairly numb to what was around them. She has this wonderful phrase, we grew up seeing everything but noticing nothing at all. Oh. I thought that's such a gem of a phrase. It is. But on the other hand, their neighbours, another Jewish family with three sons, on the face of it quite similar to them, they were very different. Their parents were outspoken activists and their mother, Selma, came to have a very big influence on Ronnie and ultimately the path that she chose. She says she observed Selma making very deliberate and mindful decisions to combine her career, her working life, with a moral commitment to change. Wow. And of course, that is something that Ronnie returns to in later years with Oz Harvest. So Ronnie goes to university in Israel, as many Jewish young people did from South Africa. There were a lot of scholarships available. And then after that, she joins a kibbutz with her boyfriend, Des, from South Africa and with some friends. Uh, She marries Des and then he is conscripted to the Israeli army not long before the Yom Kippur War. They have two sons and they spend seven years on the kibbutz. But Ronnie is a sort of very creative person. She's very keen to have a life where she can make her own choices and has more autonomy over their lives. You know, it's interesting, you know, we think of kibbutz as as places of sort of equality and caring for the the collective. But in the 1970s, jobs were very much assigned on gender lines. Yes. So her husband, Des, loved it because he was, you know, he was farming and he was in the outdoors and... You know, her sons loved it because it was a fantastic place to bring up young boys, but she was given, a, you know, a fairly mundane job and it really didn't suit her personality. And that's sort of, I think, one of the interesting challenges that that's sort of posed throughout the whole book. How can we serve the interests of everybody in society while allowing individualism to thrive at the same time? Yeah. And, you know, I was quite sort of given me a lot of pause for thought so eventually khan and her family moved to australia and we know that ronnie ends up working in event management where she was immensely successful you know with her event company and of course it's in that industry that she began to notice the appalling waste of food oh, yes. and there was one event in particular i think where everybody got so drunk they did not touch the food at all Wow. And she had this, you know, extremely expensive, high-end you can imagine. food and it was not touched at all. And she ended up delivering her first carload of food to a refuge and the rest is history, wow. really. You know, and so... Oz Harvest is today a major charitable organisation and it provides thousands of people all over Australia with food and then, of course, there those sister organisations in the UK and South Africa and I New Zealand. I can imagine
0: that um, being an event coordinator is the perfect occupation for someone to then go into this because, to me, it's pulling very disparate people together, mm. making connections with people. Mm. It's not all easy and close you no, know, no. Nothing's no. aligned. And- yeah, but it's
1: very interesting you say that because I don't want to give the impression that, you know, she was running this business so therefore it was kind of like voila, she saw a problem, hunger, nice. and she created a... Oz Harvest because she had to keep working at her event business Mm. to fund Mm -hmm. Oz Harvest. She did have this wonderful volunteer. I think it was an expat from the UK who'd come out and said, oh, I'll do a day a week. And this lady ended up working four years full time as a volunteer and apparently she was incredible. She made things happen. But she was very honest about the challenges although she had run a business she was very used to people saying to her I'd like you to do my son's bar mitzvah and here's the budget and she didn't really ever have to sort of pitch to them or you know she'd just say I'll make it fabulous and she did make it fabulous you know she put an ice rink in the middle of the venue for the kids to skate on or you know she did these incredible things but it was all in her head and all these incredible ideas so you know when she started the charity, she suddenly had to pitch to funding partners. And be
0: answerable. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And accountable. Yeah, absolutely. She had to ask people for money. She had to set up a board and she had no idea. She picked all her friends (laughs) who were all unsuitable. Then she had to (laughs) sack them all. Uh, And Macquarie, I think Macquarie Foundation were the people who sort of got her started through her brother-in-law. But they had to say to her, Ronnie, (laughs) this is serious business. Uh, So you'd think running an event business that she would be across all that. But Really, no. you know. Okay. The event business was about how fabulous she was and the fabulous mm-hmm. events she created. Mm-hmm. And then the in the first year the biggest challenge they had was to get the legislation changed in I think three Australian states. Because about food safety. Yes, because anybody who was asked to donate food would say no or well, lots of people would say no, because if somebody took that food and then was ill, yep. they faced liability. Yeah. Strangely I, I looked at the legislation in Western Australia it was changed in 2002, mm. so we already had that legislation, but in three or four other states she had to get that changed. So that was a huge effort to do all the work, and she had she had some fantastic lawyers who, you know, took the cause on, and, but it was a lot of work to get the legislation changed. Wow. So, look, this is an incredibly personal story, uh, and certainly setting up in South Africa, it turns out it was the son of her activist neighbour who helped to set up um, oh, love that. Uh, South Africa har- Harvest. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was lovely to read a memoir for a change and also something that's very inspiring and quite joyful. Yeah. And, as I said, a uh, counterpoint to uh, to the other book that I read for this episode, which is very raw and confronting.
0: I love the fact that she has created a model for other yeah. places. I yeah. think, yeah. if anything, that is probably her biggest contribution. Mm. Mm even beyond the all the people she's yeah. fed in yeah. Sydney let alone around Australia just the thought that other people have come over and said how do you do this what's the yes. structure and and she blah, blah, you blah. know she's
1: such a uh, a big personality and obviously you know she's she's got a lot of very wealthy people to trust her to do these extraordinary events which by the way she doesn't do anymore she eventually gave up the events business so she could be the CEO of Oz Harvest but she's really about relationships and you Know so she's got relationships with all these chefs and that she's met through the event industry, and now she's made all these relationships with other people. So I think Jamie Oliver was heavily involved with the UK Harvest, and so you know, she's very good at the promotional side because when you think side. about it,
0: relationships, everything yeah, yeah, they should be in everything in business, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's a That's fabulous so charity, it's very inspiring, fabulous sounds like charity, a great read. and how
1: much as it needed at the moment it's oh, incredible yeah, yeah yeah what about
0: you what what have you just finished um, mine isn't quite as inspiring as <laughs> but very enjoyable I've um, just read a book that was given to me by Fremantle Press and the lovely lady who gave it uh, thought that I would like it because she knows I like cozy crime hmm. and she was absolutely correct so it's called Death Leaves the Station but Even the name has got that oh, cosy crime yeah, feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, um, it's by Alexander Thorpe, and it sounds a bit like an Agatha Christie. It's mm. actually not mm. at all like an Agatha Christie, I don't think. But it's set in that period. It's set in 1927, I guess. So on the back cover, it says, in the summer of 1927, two strangers enter the world of 18-year-old Mariana Harris. One is a wandering friar. Claiming to have no name, the other is a corpse and when the dead man vanishes, leaving behind only blood-stained stones and a few tracks in the bush near Halfwell Station, the police are called to investigate. In the uneasy company of the powerfully mustachioed Detective Sergeant Arnold Parks and a local tracker named Cooper, that's an Indigenous tracker, Mariana and the friar join the search for the missing corpse, a quest that will take them from the goldfields to the city and uncover secrets that have lain hidden for decades. And that's exactly what this is. It opens in 1927 and a young lady is out on her parents' property and it's in the night and she discovers a corpse. She leaves and goes to find um, someone to tell. Mm. She tells the friar who has sort of wandered into the station proclaiming to have given up everything including his name and they go back to find the corpse and it's gone. Wow. Wow. And all there is is some bloodstained rocks Mm -hmm. and, you know, a few footprints around and it's a mystery. And then this policeman arrives um, to try and solve it. And it becomes a quest novel because they're they're in the north of Western Australia, up near Mm -hmm. Morawa. And he says to the young girl who found the body, I need you to come with me to Geraldton so that I can get the police artist to draw a picture Mm. of the person so that we can circulate it and try and find Mm. out who it is and then where the body is, what's happened to this corpse, because we don't know who it is, who's Mm. dead, and we need to find them. So she says, oh, okay, so she heads off to Geraldton with the policeman and this Aboriginal tracker and then they end up in Fremantle. So it it literally does become a quest novel where they sort of go from place to place. It's got quite an unusual writing style, I I would describe it as. It's a debut, I think Alexander Thorpe, this is his first novel and he's written it, I think, to make it sort of seem sort of 1927-ish. It's quite quirky. Uh, It's not like anything I've ever read, to be honest, Mm. but it has got the most fabulous plot. Mm. And once you keep going with it, I just found it, absolutely compelling. I absolutely loved it. It's only 185 or so pages oh, long. Oh, so quite a good little read. Really good, quick little read. I can't really say any more because I don't want to give any spoilers away. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's sort of international. It's hidden identities that become something else. People who seem one thing and they're not They're something else altogether. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's really clever, a really clever and highly original plot and quite an interesting and quirky. And I think the quirkiness almost makes it a bit lighthearted, which mm. is, I suppose, where the cosiness mm. comes in. I like the idea of it being written in 1927.
1: I have mean, not read anything in Western Australia. Yes, that's true. In a crime context. Yeah, that's true. Historically, back, yes. yeah. I'd really like yeah, to have yeah, a read true. of that. Yeah,
0: no, it's. I really enjoyed it. And it's cosy in the sense that, the body is already dead at the start of the book, yes. and there's no sort of <laughs> imminent threat to any of yes. the protagonists in the book. So you just the, the events already happened, and we're just trying to find mm. out what's happened. And I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I mm. thought that was good. So, uh, and do that, you
1: think that he's developing the detective as a particular person? Or I wonder if he it's going really
0: to... did. So yes. he made up. He made much of the detective's moustache. Okay, the moustache is almost a character of its oh, own fantastic. in the book. Yes. Maybe there's going to be more. He could easily do another one. Mm. Yeah. So uh, that's called Death Death Leaves the Station by Alexander Thor. Really good fun. Mm. So today our theme is the other side of the tracks and people at the margins. We we did have another (laughs) theme, but it was a bit bleak. (laughs) Yes, it was, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to couch it in positive terms. (laughs) so so we've come up with, you know, a slightly more positive way of describing our theme. So I'm going to talk about my Mm. book first, and it's an author that you and I both absolutely love, Lou, and so I know you will just agree with, Mm. you know, what I say about this. So I'm going to talk about The Broken Shore by Mm. Peter Temple. So... Mm. Peter Temple was a journalist in South Africa and he and his wife emigrated to Australia in 1980. I think they left after the Steve Biko... Oh, yes, yes. ...incident. That was sort of the last straw for them. They got out via Germany. I think they had to do a sort of a circuitous thing because uh, other Commonwealth countries wouldn't accept okay. white South Africans. Uh, he eventually settled in Melbourne in about 1982 and he became an editor and a writer, uh, and he was a journalist here as well. And then he wrote his first book, which was Bad Debts, and that's the first in his Jack Irish yes. series, which is quite well known. It's a fantastic series of four books, and three of them have been adapted to screen mm. with Guy Pearce and Aaron Peterson and a whole other cast. Just love those fantastic, books. Yeah. The books are fantastic and the movies are yeah, I think they were very intelligently done. They're beautifully yeah. done. Mm. So there are three telly movies of the first three books. And then it was turned into a series, which are sort of spin-offs, which don't seem to be connected to the books at all. No. And there is a third season coming out this mm. year. But I think they're pretty true to the characters mm. that that Peter Temple created. I think the writers have done a pretty good job. So Peter Temple also wrote a number of standalone books. And he's pretty well known for the duo, which is The Broken Shore, the one I'm going to talk about today. And then there's the loose sequel to that, which is called Truth. Mm. And it was Truth that won him the Miles Franklin Award in 2010, which is almost never, maybe never, ever given to a crime writer, Mm. which says everything about his writing, I think. Mm. Uh, So for today's conversation, I decided to go back and reread The Broken Shore because it was published in 2005 and I read it 16 years ago and I'd pretty much forgotten the plot. So, <laughs> in some senses, it seemed quite fresh and enjoyable. Yeah. Gee, he's a fantastic writer, oh, isn't he's he? He's just
1: incredible. He's, I worship, I worship. Oh, my and, goodness. And, I, and look, a lot of bookish people really know him, but I don't think he has the sort of notoriety that he deserves. Nowhere near. Because he's just near. extraordinary. He
0: is extraordinary in a world of his own, in a class of his own. He's so good. So I'm going to talk about it without getting into any spoilery Mm. detail at all. So the outline of the story is there's a homicide detective called Joe Cashen. He's been wounded at work in a pretty serious way Mm -hmm. and he's been seconded to a country posting so that he can recuperate because it was a pretty traumatic experience. So he's living out of town in a sort of a coastal countryside area in Victoria uh, and it's in a falling down sort of ruin of a of a house that his great-grandfather had built. Mm. And he sort of thinks he might do it up and sort of bring it back to life. And one morning he gets called out to a serious assault of a local elderly man called Charles Burgoyne. And he's mm. sort of a member of the local squatocracy. And for the listeners who are not Australian, the squatocracy is sort of the Australian version of... Uh, sort of wealthy rural landowners. Like ranchers. ranchers, w- wel- yeah, yeah, Wealthy yeah. ranchers, People who've held land for a long time and are f- fairly well-connected, sent, sometimes sent their kids back to England to boarding school, that sort of thing, or, or to the best schools in Melbourne. Uh, and this man's been attacked in his home and then he ultimately dies. So it ends up being mm. a murder. And that's not giving anything away no. at all. And it's Cashin's job to investigate this incident and it appears that it may have been two local Indigenous kids who are suspected of breaking into this man's property and injuring him and ultimately causing his death. And whilst there are good reasons on the surface for the police to initially think that it might have been these Mm. kids and it's quite understandable why they did go down that path. They initially looked at these Indigenous kids. The reality was that they were looking in the completely wrong direction. And so it was sort of easy back then for the police to think, oh, this is just, you know, these local kids from this rough area. There's sort of an an, an Indigenous area called, I think it's called the Daunt, where they all live. And just to think that they've solved the crime by pinning it on these kids. And it has terrible consequences for those wrongly accused kids. In all of his books, I've noticed, Peter Temple makes the main protagonist very mentally and physically tough. Mm. They're very masculine. Mm. They're almost monosyllabic. Yes. They're very clipped and tight in their speech. They sort of say the bare minimum, mm. but they have a lot of integrity. And that matches his style of writing it's as well. perfect for his style of it, writing. Which is
1: also edited to the yeah. max isn't it it is just to max
0: spare there yeah. is not an extra word no, there in, isn't It's the not one thing.
1: word that is that out is out of place yeah i
0: know so the plot starts out with the incident and then the story always circles around and around and there are always lots of seemingly unrelated things happening other incidents or other burglaries or other crimes and then peter temple always closes in yeah. And things circle in and in and in mm. and then in what is uncovered is always connected and it's always much bigger and much darker mm. Mm. than anything you could imagine. And that's exactly what this novel does. There's lots mm. of peripheral things happening and you sort of think, well, what's this person got to do with anything? Mm. And it's someone in town mentions something. There is nothing wasted. <laughs> no. There is nothing there that's a red herring. A- and Cashin gives
1: equal weight to all those you know, so he he's, so he's he also giving the same yep. weight to the detail yep. as well.
0: And the other thing about his protagonists is they're always incredibly good with their instinct mm. and hearing little voices or little things that don't add up and pursuing that, Mm. even if it's not immediately, they'll think about it overnight and come back and they're always on the money it's so good. I just think he's he's really, Mm. really good so this is such an interesting book from the point of view of racism in Australia and and in Victoria in 2005 Mm. he's made Cashin a character who has an Indigenous cousin who Mm. brought him up for a while Mm his mother's brother had married into an Indigenous family. Mm. So this character sort of straddles both worlds and they really are two different worlds Mm. completely. And I just found it fascinating to read this book again in 2021 Mm. and see it through the prism of my different vision that I have now than I had when I read it in 2005. And I had quite a visceral reaction to the racism the less aware police and the members of the community freely bandy around these dreadful racist derogatory terms for the Mm. first nations people and peter temple uses those terms quite liberally and it's not just the words or the terrible names that people call them but it's the slurs that go with Mm. them that are so dreadful and by that I mean slurs as to their character mm. or their integrity. But, you know, it's 2005. It's To me it still seems fairly recent and so it's just shocking. It, it was completely shocking to me. Mm. But I think Peter Temple was reflecting pretty accurately how people spoke in 2005. Yeah, I'm sure he and was. And I think that because, and I think I might have read an article about this, which maybe, so maybe my thought on this isn't original. I think I read it somewhere, that Like a lot of people who come to a new country, a bit like Jane Harper, a lot of writers, as outsiders, they are particularly good at seeing what we don't see and and seeing how we speak, what we say, all our strange names for things and habits and the way we discuss things and they are actually in some ways best placed to hold a mirror
1: up to us. Absolutely. And yeah. it sounds like Buster agrees with you
0: as well. Yes. He does. Um, He's
1: but very bit, and that's not unlike what Ronnie Kahn was saying, was yes. that, you know, the brutality of apartheid was there in yeah, plain sight absolutely.
0: and yet yes. they didn't see it. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that Peter Temple, coming from his South background, Africa, yeah. very deliberately mm. chose this topic. He was not being racist, he was holding a mirror up. Mm. I'm sorry, everybody, I think
1: some lawns are being mowed outside so there is a little bit of extra noise. It's just so a beautiful
0: Perth sunny day. It that's is. That's part of the noise. So even though it was hard to read, it did make me feel that we have made some small progress even since 2005, yeah. which really does seem yes. like 16 years doesn't seem no. much. But I think if this book was written today, I think it would be a bit different. Yeah. I, think, I mean, we've still got a long, long way to go. I
1: also think that he would be criticised not because this was his belief but his liberal use of the language as well yes I think that yes he, there would be some restrictions or criticisms yep. or even he might have felt himself not able yeah to necessarily use the language but
0: absolutely but I think if he was writing how we speak today I don't think it, there would be the same yes, of liberal course, use of course of these terms yeah so he would possibly wouldn't need to I mean I'm not for a moment suggesting that we've arrived where we need to be we've no. got a long way to go but it's just interesting to see in 16 years we've made baby steps yeah. I mean maybe you know it's sad that we haven't made more but at least we've made some and we're going in the right yeah. direction I love his writing he treats his readers as though they're very smart mm and that they're paying attention, Mm. he really doesn't explain anything to you. Mm. You just have to keep reading and figure it out. So if you picked this book up, you would almost think, oh, this must be the second or third in a series because he mentions people and he tells you nothing about them. No, yeah. And you think, well, what's the relevance of that character? Who who is that? But you just think, oh, I've got to keep reading. this. And eventually you just drip by drip by drip yeah. piece it all together mm-hmm. and he doesn't sort of treat you like he has to sort of spoon feed you and that's what keeps you turning the pages yeah, because he does it in such but, an yes. intriguing way. You and think, you want to know why is that person mm-hmm. so important because there's nothing here that's mm-hmm. surplus. So I just love he's, that. I think he's close to my favourite Australian writer. Yeah, I think he is too. He's just a bird. Yeah. I mean, you just know you're in the hands of a writer in complete control of the story. He knows exactly where he wants to take you and he executes it brilliantly in this one he does a beautiful depiction of the relationship between joe Cashin and another detective called villani and villani is the one who becomes the main character in truth yes the the loose connection and they are both proteges of a guy called singo Mm. and singo was obviously their their chief detective who hand selected all these people for his team and he taught them everything he knew about being a good detective homicide detective and it's like he's in singo is in their heads all the time and they mention him to each other all the time they go and visit him in hospital because he's had a stroke they think what would singo do in this instant and they they talk about you know one of singo's rules was you know following your instinct and having a sniff Mm. which is just sniffing around, just going and poking around. and It's a very so clever good. way to bring
1: in a method, isn't it? To have somebody yeah. refer back to what a mentor
0: or yep. an important person in their life or it's a mentor. Clever. It's a really clever device. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a beautiful depiction of male friendship. Yes. Uh, mm. It's very masculine. Mm. I can see why a lot of men mm. love this book. It's a very male book, mm. but it's... But they're very respectful of mm. women and, mm. uh, or, you know, this main character is anyway. Mm. I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful. And, of course, now I'm absolutely going to go and immediately read Truth, Truth because yes. I didn't have the luxury of reading them back to back mm. because Truth didn't come out mm until another five years mm. by which time i'm sure i'd forgotten mm. that's the one with the theft in a shopping center i isn't think it? so yes yeah but no, that's I think also I'm, a vague... yes yeah, so and there's a female security guard yes. i seem to remember that i one. can remember yeah. a very tense there's always a very tense scene yes. at the end yeah where the main protagonist's life is at risk it actually mm. gets re- very real it's mm. quite scary mm. but I, I don't find it too bleak or anything i i just cannot Stop Turning the Pages, I absolutely love it. So um, I'm looking forward to reading them back to mm. back now because I mm. think he probably has more links between the two books than I would have realised yes. when I read yeah. them five years ago. No, I
1: can't remember either. But great to revisit and also like yeah. that and yeah. read a body of their work. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah so great. good, so yeah. good.
0: So what about you, Lou? What's your book?
1: Well, well I read, uh, I call it Shuggy Bane, but I, I think it might be Suggy Bane because it's about a boy called Hugh. And uh-huh. that's his nickname. So it might be Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, which, of course, was the Booker Prize winning book for 2020. Look, I hesitate to say I loved the book because love's possibly not the right word because it's such a grim story of a family and a community sort of stuck in an endless cycle of poverty and addiction and casual violence actually as well. But at the same time, it's incredibly rich. It's a desperately believable book. And occasionally it's really quite funny. And the characters in the book are so vivid, you're sort of drawn into this family and you're just praying for the winds to change. So we meet Shugi, his name's Hugh, as I said, in uh, 1992, and he's 16 and he's working in a supermarket in Glasgow. And he's living in this filthy bedsit. And from that point, the book returns to 11 years earlier, 1981. And we find out how he got to that bedsit. Right. And look, it's very well known that the author Douglas Stewart, who's a fashion designer in New York... And this is his debut, by the way. He grew up in Glasgow in the nineteen seventies and eighties, so he has drawn from his own life experience in writing this book. But it's by no means autobiographical. It's I'm a fictional yet, book. How he got
0: from there mm. to being mm. a fashion designer. Mm. I have a
1: theory about that, but I won't share wow. it on the podcast because I'll be giving too much away. So Shuggy's mother is Agnes Bain. I think we can describe her as a proud woman who thought her life was going to turn out differently. It's probably unfair to call her a snob but she has these standards that people around her don't share. She always makes an effort with her appearance and her hair and her clothes and she, she always carries herself in a way that makes people imagine she thinks she's better than she is or better than them at least and in many cases she does and she sort of dreams of a better life but of course, as we know, dreaming doesn't cut it. No. So she has two children, Catherine and Alexander, with husband number one who we learn at the beginning of the book has already left her or actually she's already left him and she thinks the new man in her life who is Shug Bain uh, which is of course where Hugh gets his name from he's a taxi driver and she thinks he has so much more to offer Uh, and so they have Hugh, Shuggy together but she's now living with him at the beginning of the book and her three children in her parents' flat and life is no better at all (sighs) in fact it's possibly worse and this is at the very start of the book. But as a reader, it kind of sets in train this kind of creeping cycle of inevitable hopelessness. You oh. know? Agnes's husband, Shug, moves her and the three children to a mining town. It was one of those mining towns that is devastated by the economic policies of the Thatcher government in the 80s and 80s. We soon learn that Shug Bain has no intention of remaining with them. Uh, he's a horrible, horrible man, you know, and his philandering ways are effectively the least of it, you know. So the family's placed in this kind of new landscape, a new community, which is not only economically ravished, but it's also socially and morally completely bankrupt. And it's bleak and it's hopeless. And the children are effectively the only heroes between Agnes and the bottle and her demons, effectively. Now, I'm actually not going to talk really any more about the story because I'd be giving away lots of spoilers. So I've really just taken you into a couple of chapters of the book. But essentially, there is this push me, pull you in the whole book. Will the children be able to save their mother? Um. And what are the limits of their tenderness and love for her? And believe me, Stuart does not spare us any granular detail for what it's like to live in poverty, what it's like to intimately care for an alcoholic, even one who at her lowest ebb still thinks she's better than everyone else. The book, of course, is called Shuggy Bane, and I don't want to talk too much about him who is, you know, it's his story because I don't want to give away any spoilers. He is the youngest child, of course. He's a very gentle soul who adores his mother and she adores him, but he doesn't fit into the community and that's all I'm going to say. To me, it felt, you know, mixture, Roddy Doyle, Pat Barker, whoever wrote, Billy Elliot. It's got all that sort of feel to it. What I will say for people who don't think they want to read this There are some real moments of light and shade in the book, very vivid characters, some really humorous moments, and there's always hope. So, I mean, maybe I did love it after all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would definitely read it. And what about the writing? Look, I love the writing. I actually wasn't going to mention this. There has been some criticism of it that he does a little bit of too much explaining. Okay, It's that the prose is a little bit heavy at times in terms of directing the reader. I actually didn't find that. Okay. I, I look, I, I think it's an incredible book. Mm. You no, know, incre- I know why. You know, you can see why it won the Booker. Uh, but it's it's yeah. Look, it's an extraordinary book, and I loved it. Yeah, uh, You know, it I, loved the, I mean, I love the writing. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So yes, grim and bleak, but definitely worth reading. Yeah, yeah, definitely and lots worth of Lots of humanity.
0: Lots of humanity. Sounds really. And,
1: yeah the detail is extraordinary wow which does make you feel that he must have some experience i should not yes. say that but it just he must have, have taken some
0: part of his own life yeah surely yeah yeah have you read any interviews i it might be interesting yes. to look and see yeah, i'd like whether to. people say yes how much of this yes is i actually
1: think that he is possibly the older brother oh interesting because the older brother has an interest in art and design in this book
0: okay so
1: i wouldn't be surprised if if there's a connection there yeah that's
0: cool now virginia you have a life hack for us i do have a life hack my life hack is this is very personal if you're feeling overwhelmed as i have been make a list ah (laughs) list yes in my case make several lists Gosh, it makes a difference. It does. I have, I feel, I have been feeling a little bit as though just everything's been a bit, you know, mm. on top of me. And That's not good. I know, and it's amazing what sitting down with a pad and paper mm. and just writing a list. And in fact, what I did was I made a list of things I need to buy, a list of things I need to do around the house. I, I made a list of medical things. I've got, yes. s, you know, I've got a lot yeah. of health issues and I need to sort them all out and just wrote them all down. And once you can see them all, it just I agree. lightens it's you. It's like you're downloading them out of your head Yep, and
1: they're not scrambled. Yep. And the other thing I think which is quite good, you've really made me think about this now, is being able to have smaller goals so you're only doing a couple of things on the list yep. and then you've, you've yep. dealt with that which is why I sometimes have lots and lots of lists yeah. with just a short a few things yeah, on yeah, them yes because yeah. then I can discard Any that list. you can go, I'll do
0: one house thing today and I'll make one medical appointment yes and one other appointment yes. and one and I'm only getting maybe two things off each day off yes. each list but when you can start seeing the ticks beside, you mm. start to think, well, I'm actually making, whereas before I do not think I was doing any of mm. them. I was just completely overwhelmed and, mm. and not knowing quite where to start. And, thinking, and I don't know why we've made our lives so ridiculously busy yeah. and say yes to
1: too much. And yeah. so lists are essential. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And can I just say, speaking of life hacks, <laughs> I have a little bone to pick with you, Virginia, <laughs> about your serums. <laughs> Maybe I've actually got nobody to blame but myself, but we have had so many responses know, to the syrups. <laughs> we could almost do a podcast on syrups. <laughs> anyway, I had a client meeting last week with a single person and I was sitting across the table from her and she was looking at me intently. And you know when you someone's looking at you and you see that they're distracted There's by something, something wrong.
0: There's a flicker in their eyes and they're a bit distracted. That normally means I've got parsley in my teeth or coffee. <laughs> yes cappuccino chocolate powder around my mouth. Well,
1: she did that and she looked at me and she won't be listening to the podcast so it doesn't matter. She looked at me and I could see her eyes sort of flickered to the side of my face and I instinctively sort of put my hand up (laughs) and then she looked away. It was one of those awful moments. Anyway, I felt my face was peeling off. Seriously. Fortunately, and I don't think she did this on purpose, she went off to get some documents. (laughs) And I'm sitting (laughs) sitting there touching my face, and my whole face is rubbing off. (laughs) I put a serum on under a moisturizer, and my face was just, it was just, it was just sort of shedding.
0: (laughs) It's just so embarrassing. Yeah, it was hilarious. So, serum gate. Now, if I knew more, I could probably counsel you and say now was it hyaluronic acid because that should go in you know on in the evening and i'm I'm actually still a complete amateur it may have been an old
1: serum and it may have been me using it completely incorrectly uh, but it was it was actually very funny indeed well with hindsight it was very funny
0: i'm so sorry Lou. Mm, no very funny uh now you were going to do a writing tip. I was. And we've also got our winners. We have. We have. We've received some
1: amazing responses for oh. the competition. We asked people to tell us if they were going to write a book or if they are writing a book or halfway through, but what they want to write about. And we've people have been so generous. I
0: love our answers. Yeah, and oh my goodness. We've
1: had some people give us, you know, mini chapters and yep. just beautiful. So lovely. So we were so overwhelmed. We decided we're not going to give two books away. No. We're going to give several books yep. away. Yep. And that the book I'm talking about is How to Be an Author: The Business of Being a Writer in Australia by Georgia Richter and Deborah Hun. Um, so we will be announcing those winners on Instagram and contacting yes. you and getting your addresses and posting them out to you this week. Yep. But we've got more than two. We've got, we got more were than just two.
0: So taken. With yes, everybody. We're going
1: to give a few more answers. out. Yeah, we just couldn't resist. Yes, you've shared a life hack, so I'll share a a creative writing tip. Okay. Right at the beginning um, of this book, the first chapter is called In the Beginning, and they talk about some triggers for creativity, things that get you started, get the juices flowing. And Georgia and Deborah offer a number of suggestions. And one of my favourites I'm just going to share with you, you know, you might have a sort of a germ of an idea like, an event that's happened to you personally or a de- an autobiographical detail, but you don't quite know how to sort of transform it into a fictional yes. context. I and, can relate to this. Uh, and you don't know how to sort of add sort of depth to it. And what they suggest is adding a layer of what if. Oh. So project alternative versions or outcomes to the event as to what actually happened so you, you know oh. if, if, if something's happened to you or you've observed something say well what if this happened instead or what if the outcome was this instead and they said that's a sort of like an imaginative trigger yes um, i can you see how that would yes work. so so effectively in short propose alternative visions or alternative outcomes to the event yeah, that I you're love
0: thinking that. about, mm. so I love that as well. I yeah. That was a really, really good one, and it's quite a concrete way. Because I do, I feel like sometimes I'm the repository of stories. Like people have told me things that where I have said. You couldn't make that up if you tried. Like, just <laughs> and they're real things that have yes. happened to people. Yes, and I often think, gee, I'd love to put that in a story. Yes, you know, yes. change all the names. Yes. I, you know, obviously, would never steal someone's story, but but I often think I oh, wouldn't really know where to start mm. with that. But and that's a great thing to yes. do: is to just take that idea and run with it, and say yes. what, what if and different happened? alternatives,
1: yeah. Yeah. and so uh, if the resolution of it or mm. the outcome was mm. was different, or maybe even look at it backwards like well what they also say people. how would an outsider see it so how would a oh, third yes. party
0: yeah
1: looking at that event how would they what would their perspective yep. be yeah because that also makes you examine the context and yep. you know you, you're removing
0: yourself from it and a reminder that an event that happens can be interpreted so many different yes. ways truth yeah. truth is a and very and things have different thing. meaning yeah to yeah, different people bring our, So uh so I thought that that that's yeah. a, that's quite a good one. Yeah, I love that. That's excellent. Thanks for that, Lou. And what else have you been diving into, Jenny Um well, I don't have a lot else because I think you know when I mentioned my serums, I said that I was listening to the You Beauty podcast. At that point, I was literally just listening to all their current ones because they were doing one every day across summer. This is Mamma Mia, You Beauty. Mamma Mia's You Beauty podcast with Lee Campbell and Kelly McCarran. I've now done a deep dive. (laughs) I've gone back to 2019. There are hundreds of them. They're all only about 15 minutes Mm. or thereabouts. And I've listened to, well, I'm working my way forward and Mm. I'm following them through a birth, a marriage, moving house, I know their whole lives. Someone's on maternity leave, and is it else beauty can... and health? It's pretty much just beauty. It
1: yeah. just shows you what because they have enormous followers. It just shows you
0: what the appetite is they for have. self. So it's fascinating to go back to the beginning because it's only t- 2019. Mm. I don't know if you find this, but I find it. I have a bit of a mental block about going back to anything pre-pandemic. Yes, yes. Because I, know what I you feel mean. like the world's changed. These people do not know anything about life, including us. Like we were all just blind and we didn't know Mm. what was Mm. to come. So I do find it a bit hard. But once you start, you find. But they start off and they're saying, oh, we've got, you know, 5,000 people in our Facebook group. Now, the other day on one of their current ones, they said we've had 13 million downloads, or something. Like, they're just, it's yes, just grown huge, and grown huge. and grown. And I can see why. They're very kind girls. Mm. So, they take questions that people have written in, and no question is too stupid. No, there's no judgment. No judgment at all. And they're very inclusive of every different mm. type of skin. And these girls are both very down to earth. They talk about their acne problems, and it's not as though they're polished supermodels themselves. No, no. And it's real. They're girls with ordinary budgets yeah they're okay. journalists and they do a spendy and I think a lot of their spendies are possibly given to them yes, but they do a savvy as well and they do some really good how fantastic uh, manageable so it's very accessible very too. accessible it's mm. I've just had so much fun with it, mm. so my next thing is I'm going to be buying brushes oh <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Maybe I needed a brush the other day to brush away all my skin. I've got plenty of serums. Now I need to get a set of brushes. I think my... we're gonna do a photo shoot, Virginia. <laughs> it's so much fun. Tell you what, it's better than eating, you know, a donut. Yeah, it's it is. Just... Although eating a donut's pretty good it as well. It sure is. <laughs> I'll Do that as well. What? Why giving? What do we have yes, to give it, up? It's, to? it's not either or. <laughs> this is skincare, Virginia. I don't know why I feel the need to justify my. Correct. Obsession Absolutely. With you beauty. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been diving into. What about you? What have you been diving into?
1: Uh, well, I have been binging on a Netflix series which is new, I guess, for us in Australia. And I don't know actually when Netflix took it up, but I don't think it's that recent. Anyhow, it's called Stiesel and it is from Israel. And I think there's three series now. The third series might have come out in 2019. And it is essentially about an ultra-Orthodox Jewish family in Jerusalem.
0: Fascinating.
1: And it's, it is fabulous. So mm-hmm. you have uh, Shulam Stiesel, who is the sort of patriarch. He's a senior teacher at a, a local school. He's a rabbi. And he has one son who is uh, studying to be a a rabbi and is very knowledgeable about the Torah. Uh, He has a younger son who is really one of the heroes of, of the series, Akiva. And a lot of the first series is really about, you know, him trying to find a suitable match. He also has a daughter who has... Five children oh, wow. uh, and a troubled marriage. It's absolutely superb.
0: Subtitles?
1: Subtitles, yeah, yep. absolutely. It's you know it's all in Yiddish. And wow. I'm really, really that enjoying it. Wonderful. It's not so highbrow that you don't binge, like it's very okay. binge worthy. Oh, wonderful. I think the first series started in 2013 and obviously for a long time it was for an Israeli audience, I presume. Mm, okay. And then Netflix here. I think, in the last couple of years has acquired it. Oh, cool. And, like, actually in Australia it may only have been acquired very recently.
0: Oh, that's a good uh, one. And there yeah. are
1: only series one and two on Australian Netflix at okay. the moment. But that's Stiesel and it's, it's really enjoyable. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah.
0: So that's it from us today. We'll be back soon. We have a travel-related theme next. We're off to a place that we would love to be visiting, mm. if only, if <laughs> only. I know. Uh, so I'm we really can all dream. Yeah, we can. That's all we can do at the moment. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that do tell a friend about our podcast, contact us on Instagram if you have anything interesting to say about any of the books that we've talked about today. We love hearing from listeners. We've had some lovely messages on Instagram and some lovely DMs and it just makes it so much fun. It does. Really, I just love it. We feel connected to you. Yeah, it's so heartwarming. It's wonderful. So thank you for that. And we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye for now we really enjoyed today's episode
1: thank you for listening and thank you for all your lovely reviews too if you want to know more about today's books or anything else we've talked about you'll find them in the show notes and we feature most of the books on our instagram page too at diving underscore in underscore podcast and if you'd like to share any books that you've been diving into we'd love to hear from you please email us at hello at divinginpodcast.com bye for now
0: Shaping up Working in Diving in Breaking up Shaping up Working